Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church. Life, faith, together. Our reading is taken from Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 to 30. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Amen. Well, Paul, in in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, writes, Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live a life worthy of the gospel. What does Paul mean by that? Well, take note the first phrase, whatever happens. You will remember that Paul is sitting in jail waiting to find out whether he's going to be executed or not. And while he's sitting there in his prison cell writing this letter to the church in Philippi, it's as if he's thinking to himself, you know what? I might not get out of here. And if I don't, what is the one thing these people need to know about life? And he says, this is it. Whatever happens to me or to you, this is the one thing that matters. Live a life that is worthy of the gospel. Whatever happens in your life, whether whether it's something fantastic, like you have this great success, or something tragic, make sure that you live a life worthy of the gospel. Today we continue our series through the book of Philippians, which is Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, and it's often known as Paul's joy letter because it's all about joy and how we can experience the joy of the Lord. And today we're going to be looking at what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel and how we can live a life worthy of the gospel. So what does it mean to live a life worthy of the gospel? Of the gospel. I mean, can we ever be worthy of the gospel? I mean, isn't the gospel God's grace to those who are undeserving? Is Paul saying we could deserve the gospel? Well, of course not. That will go against everything the Bible teaches. The Bible is very clear. You can't earn your salvation, you don't deserve your salvation. 
that the gospel is the good news about Jesus. It's about how Jesus died for you, about how Jesus paid the penalty for your sin so that we can be forgiven, so that we can have a living relationship with God, so we can know our eternity is secure. And so there is nothing, absolutely nothing, you can do or need to do to earn the salvation because it's a free gift from God. We simply have to receive God's love and forgiveness. So what does Paul mean when he says, live a life worthy of the gospel? What he's saying is, if you've received this amazing love from God, if you've received this forgiveness from God, it should be evident to everyone by the way you live. You see, if you're in a, a living relationship with the living God, it changes you. It doesn't mean you're perfect. No, we're not perfect, but we're forgiven. And our eternity is secure. And we're in a living relationship with, with, with God. Jesus is now Lord of our life. And that changes our priorities in life. That changes the way we behave in life. And so Paul is saying, you ought to live in a way that, that no matter what happens, it's living proof that Jesus is Lord of your life. Come what may, I'm following Jesus and him alone. And, and the Greek word that's been translated, conduct yourself in a manner, it li literally means live as a citizen. And, and so the verse could be translated, whatever happens, live as a citizen worthy of the gospel of Christ. And this concept of citizenship what was a well-known concept to the people in Philippi? You see, Philippi was a Roman colony. And so even though it was miles and miles away from Rome, the people in Philippi used to live as if they were in Rome. They used to live as if they were Roman citizens. They would wear Roman clothes. They would speak Latin. They would use Roman names. That they lived as Roman citizens. And it's as if Paul's saying to them, well, look, you know how everyone in Philippi lives as if they are a Roman citizen? Well, you've got a higher citizenship. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God. And you need to live a life worthy of that citizenship. You see, we are all citizens of secular Britain. And there is immense cultural pressure to talk in a certain way, behave in a certain way, dress in a certain way, to have certain priorities and values and goals in life. And there's an immense peer pressure to conform. But we're called to be citizens of Jesus' kingdom. We're called to live like Jesus and behave like Jesus. And when you start doing that, you will face pressure to conform. Sometimes the pressure is really overt. Sometimes it's quite subtle. Paul was facing overt pressure. Renounce your faith or die. 
And there are many Christians around the world who are facing that kind of pressure and persecution today. The pressure we experience is more subtle, but it's still equally real. And because it's subtle, sometimes it can be very powerful pressure to conform. And therefore, it's hard to be a Christian. It's hard to speak about Jesus. It's hard to live a life worthy of the gospel. So how can we live a life worthy of the gospel? Well, Paul tells us three things. Firstly, we need to stand together. Secondly, we need to strive together. And thirdly, we need to suffer together. So firstly, stand together. In verse 27, Paul writes, Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit. So many Christians around the world are, are, are in retreat. When, when, when things get difficult and hard, they suddenly start downplaying their faith. When they're amongst the popular crowd, they, they don't mention Jesus. Have you ever felt like that? I've sometimes experienced things like that. Uh, someone will say, well, what, what, did, what did you get up to on Sunday? Oh, Sunday. Yes, right. Um, well, on Sunday, um, oh, we went to the beach in the afternoon. <laughs> oh, great, fantastic. Well, what did you do in the morning? Oh, so, oh sun, sun, Sunday morning, right. Um, yes. Well, uh, you see, um, Paul's calling us to stand firm. To be unashamed no matter what the company. Paul writes in, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul is waiting to find out whether he's going to be executed or not. And the only thing he's concerned about is that he might be ashamed to mention Jesus. It's the only thing he's worried about, that, that, that he might feel ashamed. And he's, he hopes he, he will always have enough courage to, to mention Jesus, even if he gets killed or not, you know, whether by life or death. That's what it means to stand firm. How can we do that? Well, it's important to note that the Greek word for you is in the plural. You stand firm. You can't do this by yourself. If you try to stand firm all by yourself, you will fail. It's impossible. The picture over here that Paul's using, the picture over here is of the Roman soldiers holding the defense line standing shoulder to shoulder with their shields in front of them and their spears in their right hand. And as long as they are standing shoulder to shoulder together, they will stand firm. You will not penetrate them. If a soldier tries to stand firm all by themselves in isolation, 
They are weak and vulnerable. They will fail. They will fall. It's only by standing together, shoulder to shoulder, that you're able to stand firm. And that's why we need to stand together. That's why it's so important that we gather together on Sundays regularly as a, as a real privilege and joy. Because we need each other. That's why we gather together in our life groups. Because we need each other. We can't stand alone. If we try to stand alone, we will fall. We won't be able to. We'll be weak and vulnerable. That's why it's so important to gather together. Because we need each other. You need us. And we need you. Just by showing up strengthens everyone else. So let's stand together. Secondly, strive together. Paul says you stand firm in the one spirit. That means when we stand together, it's the Holy Spirit that unites us. But the phrase in one spirit is also implies that we have one mind, that we have one purpose, one mission, one shared vision. And it's this one spirit, this one purpose that un unites us and enables us to stand firm. What is this one purpose? What's this one spirit? He continues, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. It's the gospel. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is our one purpose that unites us and enables us to stand firm. Christians can disagree about many things. We can disagree about what political party to vote for. We can disagree about what's the best way to tackle the climate crisis. We, we can disagree about which team's going to win the Rugby World Cup. We can disagree on many secondary issues, but we cannot disagree on the gospel. It's the gospel that unites us. It's the gospel that is our one sole purpose that enables us to stand firm. And that's why the gospel needs to be central to everything you do. Because when it is, that's when we'll be able to stand together and stand firm. And for Paul, Paul is completely gospel-centered. He mentions the word gospel seven times just in chapter one. He, he, he says... Actually, before I get there, uh, notice it also says striving. Striving together. Striving implies hard work, effort, determination, perseverance. All our effort, all our energy into the gospel. Because when we put all our effort, if that's our sole goal and focus, it unites us. And as I said, that was Paul's sole golden focus. Seven times he mentions the gospel, working for the gospel. He talks in verse 5 about their partnership in the gospel. Verse 7, he defines his ministry as defending and confirming the gospel. In verse 12, he says, being thrown into prison, actually served to advance the gospel and helped others to proclaim the gospel without fear. Verse 14. And then he goes in verse 16, he says, I am put here for the defense 
of the gospel. And then he says in verse 27, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. It's all about the gospel. His sole focus, purpose, everything he's doing is for the gospel. And that's why everything we do here at ABC is all about the gospel. That's why we gather here on a Sunday. It's because of the gospel. That's why we do kids ministry and youth ministry. That's why we meet in our life groups. That's why we have an eco group. That's why we run the food bank. Because it's all about Jesus and sharing the love of Jesus. Is the gospel your main and your sole focus in life? Paul says, in, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And then thirdly, suffer together. You're all getting excited about this, I can tell. In verse 28, Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. What? How can we not be frightened? How can the, the church in Philippi not be frightened? There were people persecuting them. How can Paul not be frightened? They were threatening to kill him. How can we not be frightened? Well, when the gospel is your sole focus, when your goal in life is to, for me, to, li to live is Christ and to die is gain, when that's your goal in life, there is absolutely nothing anyone can do to make you afraid. That they can threaten to take everything away from you, but they can't stop you from loving Jesus and telling people about the love of Jesus. They can threaten to kill you, but then you're just going to go home to be with Jesus. There's nothing they can do to make you afraid. He continues, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. When they realize that you're not phased by their threats, and that you're even prepared to die for your faith, that will be a sign to them. They may think they're destroying your life, but by turning their backs on Jesus, they're actually destroying their own life. But it's a double sign. It's also a sign to us, a sign that we are being saved. You see, we can't do this, can we? We can't do this in our own strength. Naturally, we would be terrified. Naturally, we want self-preservation. We can only do this with the Holy Spirit. And so when we start living a life worthy of the gospel... We will know that it's the Holy Spirit enabling us to do this. We will know that God is with us. We will know that we will be saved. Then verse 29, Paul says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. What Paul is saying here is that it's a privilege, a real privilege to believe in Jesus. To have your sins forgiven. To be in a relationship with God. To know your eternity is secure. It's a real privilege. But it's also a real privilege to suffer 
for Jesus. We don't often mention that, do we? Do you want to put your faith in Jesus? Do you want to have your sins forgiven? Do you want to be in a living relationship with Jesus? Do you want to know that your eternity is secure? Yes, 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 yes. And do you want to suffer for Jesus? We often leave out that last bit. But all the early Christians suffered for their faith in Jesus, and they all speak of the privilege of suffering for Jesus. You see, when we start living a life worthy of the gospel, there will be pushback. When we stop conforming to the values of our culture and to peer pressure and start conforming to Jesus, there will be pushback and opposition. Sometimes it will be overt pressure like Paul faced. Other times it will be more subtle, but equally real. But there will be this pushback. And when that happens, when we suffer, when we suffer for doing what is right, for standing up for Jesus, we'll start to experience the privilege of suffering for Jesus. We'll realize it's a privilege. Now, unfortunately, many Christians have abused this and used this as an excuse to be obnoxious and argumentative. And they've gone around looking for fights. And then people have, you know, objected to what they've said and there's been this pushback and, and, and opposition to what they've done. They've, they say things like, oh, what a privilege. We're suffering for Jesus. No, you're not. You're suffering because you're obnoxious. But when you follow the way of Jesus and you start loving others, you start standing up for the poor and the oppressed, you start speaking out against social justice, you start standing up for Jesus, you start telling people the good news of Jesus and then there's pushback and then you experience some opposition, then you will experience the privilege, the real privilege of suffering for Jesus. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 41, we, we were told of, of how the apostles, after they'd been beaten and thrown into prison, how the apostles were rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for Jesus. Have you experienced the privilege of suffering for Jesus? A great example of this is a guy by the name of John Chrysostom, who was a, a fourth century preacher, pastor. He was a great example of someone who lived a life worthy of the gospel. He preached the truth of the gospel both with words and actions. He, he stood up for the poor and the oppressed. He spoke out against injustice. He comforted the afflicted and afflicted the comfortable and the rich and the powerful did not appreciate it the rich and the powerful of his day including the empress and the empress as a result wanted to banish him wanted to send him into exile and this is how he responded he said 
You cannot banish me, for for this world is my father's house. But I will kill you, she said. No, you cannot, for my life is hidden with Christ in God. Then I'll take away all your treasures. No, you cannot, for my treasure is in heaven and my heart is there. But I will drive you away from your friends, and you will have no one left. No, you cannot. For I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me. I defy you, for there is nothing you can do to harm me. He died in exile in 407 AD. He suffered. But he lived a life worthy of the gospel. And he experienced the privilege, the real privilege of suffering for Jesus. So whatever happens in your life, whether something fantastic, some great success, or something tragic, make sure that you live a life Worthy of the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we, we stand in awe of uh, Paul and and John Chrysostom and, and many other Christians who have lived a life worthy of the gospel. We are inspired by them. Father, won't you forgive us in the few times when we have felt ashamed, when we have not stood up for what is right, and we haven't stood up for you. Father, help us to know the the privilege of suffering for you, to know that you are pleased with us for doing the right thing, for standing up for Jesus, even in the face of of opposition. But Father, we just confess that we can't do that, that we are weak. Won't you empower us with your Holy Spirit? Enable us to live the life worthy of the gospel, to live a life worthy of what we believe. And help us to be able to say like Paul, for to me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website, abgavenibaptist.co.uk.